are listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast with Mark Alden Taylor. Welcome to another edition of the Freeform Rock Podcast. We have Lee on the line. What's up, Lee? Oh, I am still hanging in there, hanging on the line. I'm hoping my clothes will dry soon, but hey, how are you, Mark? Fine. And then we have a special guest today. We have a real guest, a guy who wrote a book. Like, we feel stupid. Lee's a writer. I'm not a writer. But we have uh, Joe Milliken, who wrote the book, Let's Go, Benjamin Orr and the Cars, right? Did I get that right? You got it right. All right, Joe. So how are you doing today? How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, guys. It's great to be here. I'm sitting up in my office up in Vermont and um, looking forward to chatting with you. Let's do it. Right yeah. on. Man. So, uh, Lee, I'm did you have my, any questions? Um, sister's place in New York. <laughs> I'm just in my in my room on my desk, uh, looking at the computer, talking to you guys. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> Sounds like we're all ready to go. Yeah. Yep. So, so um, well, let's go. Let's go. Sorry. <laughs> That's a good pun. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Joe, how did you come to write a book about Benjamin Orr? Hmm. Well. Um, to be completely honest with you, um, it was actually brought to me by a Cars fan. Um, it was suggested to me by a Cars fan. Um, I've been a Cars fan all my life. Uh, when I was introduced to rock music, when I was a seventh grader, um, the first Cars album had just come out and, um, they were one of the first bands that I ever got into. So they've always been a sentimental favorite of mine. But I'll also say that um, when I was getting ready to work on my first book, um, the Cars and even Ben weren't necessarily at the top of my list, although they were one of my favorite bands. So it probably wouldn't have been something that I explored on my own. But like I said, a Cars fan found me on social media and approached me about it and said, hey, you should write a book about Ben Orr. So that's kind of how it started. Yeah, Ben Orr is like one of the, uh, I don't know, he sang a lot of the hits, but people always go to Rick Ocasek on this uh, band, and they don't oh, look at yeah. his contrib- you know, what Ben did for yep. the band. And um, yep. that's kind of sad, because Ben, I got into the cars because of Ben, his songs, you know, like um, moving in stereo, you know, watching that movie, what's that, uh, you know, the movie with Phoebe Cates on this, on this uh, diving board, and... <laughs> Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, Fast Times at Ridgemont High with the guy whacking off in the bathroom to the song. (laughs) It was a freaking one of the greatest teenage scenes a teenager could ever watch, you know? (laughs) Well, I mean, go on. I guess, I guess, you're right. Generally speaking, I guess Rick um, is the more prominent or most prominent member of the band. But I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, he was the leader of the band. He was the main songwriter, um, lyrics. And uh, so I guess that is the general perception. However, um, I've been working on this book for a long time, and I've talked to a lot of the Cars fans, and true Cars fans, um, they all love Ben, too. Um, ben, and as a matter of fact, there are a lot of fans out there who are um, attracted to the Cars because of Ben. Um, yeah. So, so he was a prominent figure too, and he's a co-founder with Rick too. So he was there from day one, right alongside. Yeah. Rick, so, but um, I understand what you're saying about Rick, though. I mean, I think it's more though because he was 
sort of presented as the leader of the band and the lyricist, so I think that had something to do with it. <clears throat> yeah, but it's like, I know, for instance, like, he, Ben, and Rick were in a group called Milkwood, and this was back before the Cars, and of course, Rick, um, I think when people ask Rick about Milkwood, he kind of was like, okay, okay, um, but, but it's like, um, but Ben wrote a song called Lincoln Park on that album, and so Ben did do some writing, but it's like, uh, I was curious, um, how come Ben might not have written more songs? Hmm, well, I mean, Ben, Ben always wrote songs, I mean, going all yeah. the way back to his early days in Cleveland, um, and he did write early on, um, mm, yeah. but when he ended up in the cars, um, Rick just sort of, I mean, that's what he did. And, you yeah. know, Ben, I'm not going to say Ben took a back seat to that, but Ben, Ben was a performer. Ben had one of the greatest voices ever in rock, and oh. he, was really, he was really okay, if you will, with Rick kind of taking the lead in the lyrics part of yeah. it. Um, so, and, and Ben, especially when Ben did his solo album in the 80s, he, he sort of said that, you know, he was a little shy about lyric writing. He, was, he wrote um, great melodies. Um, ben yeah. was more writing the music part of it. Um, so he was really, he was okay with, with Rick writing lyrics. Yeah. Um, but yes, he did do more writing early on in his life. And as, yeah. you know, when the car started and Rick kind of took control of that, um, ben just kind of went along for the ride and sang all the hits. <laughs> yeah, I think it was probably then a case of the group thinking, what's best for the group? And um, regardless of who wrote what, if it's a good song, it's a good song. So I think that probably might have been part of it. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of that, they kind of did that because, um, you know, um, Ben and Rick shared lead vocals um and rick sang a few hits too yeah um and they used to take that same approach in the studio when it came to choosing who was going to sing what songs like rick yeah. would write lyrics for a song and he wouldn't specifically have in his head i'm writing this one for me i'm writing this one for ben he yeah. would go into the studio with the songs and they would both take a crack at it and they'd both sing it and kind of go yeah you do better with this one that one's yours oh yeah so they took oh, yeah. that same approach when they decided who was going to sing what when they went in the studio. So yeah. Plus, I'm I'm. Oh, I'll go on, Mark. Uh, I was just going to say. Plus, Ben had a great solo album. I thought that got overlooked. The Lace. I really. I have that on vinyl. It's so good. Yeah, I have it on vinyl too. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I'm a great album for sure. I'm yeah. wondering some. I'm, I'm wondering about how the group went from first being Milkwood when, um, like for instance Rick was like Rick Orchasek or whatever it was and Ben was Ben Orzachowski and, 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 and they did an album on like I think it was Paramount back in the mid 70s and people might thought, who are these Polish versions of Crosby Stills <laughs> Nash and Young and, and then all of a sudden they, um, Rick is Rick Okasik, Ben is Ben Orr, and then they do really good, uh, you know, pop-style stuff that's like 
at that time of the future. I'm wondering how they might have gone from one to the other. Well, um, you know, they originally got together um, in the late 60s, and uh-huh. they actually played together in a couple of different bands and moved around the country a little bit, um, trying to make it. It took them about a decade before they actually, mm. you know, turned into the cars and got a record deal. So oh, they, right. um, they logged a lot of miles to get where they got. And oh, right. in the early 70s, that is when, you know, the whole, like you just said, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and that yeah. whole acoustic-sounding thing was big. So, you know, you try to take advantage of whatever trend is big at the time, so that's what they did. They had more of a folky group acoustic sounding singer songwriter kind of thing yeah they did it they did it as a duo for a while just the two of them doing clubs and small clubs in boston and then it turned into milkwood and um so they were trying to take advantage of the scene at the time if you will um not the greatest version of it (laughs) because they even though they got a record deal that the record went nowhere and the band eventually broke up um but I want to say that they were both rockers, though. They, they, they never stopped loving rock and roll. They just, like I said, they tried to maybe take advantage of the trend at the time to try to get that mm-hmm. record deal. And they did get the record deal, but that's as far as it went. Um, and yeah. then they, you know, kind of turned it back into rock. Um, they were actually had a band together called Captain Swing huh. um, in Boston. Um, they started as Captain Swing changed in and out a couple of different band members and eventually morphed into the cars oh cool yeah i, I think this band and uh cheap trick is like what became the alternative in the 80s and 90s <laughs> they just put those yeah. two bands together and they made their own genre you know because there was no alternative genre when the cars started or cheap trick i think they invented yeah. the genre both these bands yeah, when the cars when the cars hit it big, um, they were definitely very unique sounding. You know that combination of rock, pop, new yeah. wave, that whole kind of thing. Um, yeah, they were definitely pioneers. And when they when they hit it big, they definitely nobody else sounded like them. They were unique oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, nobody <laughs> sounded like oh. them. It's like, damn, this band. Mm-hmm. I didn't get into them when they first got. I, came out i the the bands i was in at that age i was like eight seven or eight the first bands <laughs> i got into were foreigner double vision and the Beatles, sergeant peppers those were my first two rock albums that i got into and then slowly i got into the cars and other bands and uh the cars when i first heard this album it just blew me away because like i said i was watching hbo as a kid I saw that scene with Phoebe Cates on the diving board with that song. I go, who's singing? I, I was like distracted with the song more than until Phoebe <laughs> Cates showed her boobs. And I was like, oh, wow. And my mom walked in, changed the channel. But I was going, I need to know who this group is. So I looked it up and found out it was the Cars, and I went and bought that tape. <laughs> I was the kind of guy who, if I was watching Phoebe Cates, I would just be watching Phoebe Cates. And if, the, and if my mom turned the channel, I would have said, Mom, what? Who did those boobs belong to? <laughs> but, but well, but I can actually, uh, I can remember also um, the very first time I heard the debut Cars album. I remember exactly what I was doing. You know, I was in seventh grade, and um, that is 
one of the they were one of the first bands, and that was one of the first rock albums that I ever got into. Um, so yeah, they like wow. I said, they've always been a sentimental favorite band of mine. They weren't necessarily at the top of my list when it came to what I was yeah. going to write about for my first book. Oh yeah, um, with me, I uh, well when I was growing up, the Cars were a group that everyone was listening to except I didn't always listen to radio. I usually just bought albums and just listened to that. And so my schoolmates bought the cars. I, I saw the posters. I saw the advertisements for the cars. So I knew of them, but I didn't know any of their songs. And I finally, I, I, I just asked some people because I just wanted to know what they sounded like. I said, um, what I've heard of the Cars. What kind of music do they do? And all they did, all they would say is, they're good. And I'm okay, they're good. But what what do they sound like? They went, they just sound like good music. And I was like, well, okay, uh, but <laughs> I still don't know. And then finally, um, I heard "Let the Good Times Roll." And the first time that I heard it, uh, well, I had a hairstylist named Steve Watkins, and he was also a guitar player and the name of the um, place where they styled hair was called Amazing so he called himself Amazing Stevie High Watt Watkins and then once <laughs> a year him and the other hairstylists did like a like a jam session for their friends and customers who used to go to their um, shop and then so I had a little tiny rinky dink uh, tape recorder and I recorded them playing their gig and one of the songs they played was Let the Good Times Roll. So I knew that song but I just didn't know it was a Cars tune. I thought it was like an old like Kinks song or something. But I thought, hey, that's that's a good song. And then later when I heard the Cars do it I, I was like, huh, uh, this is different than how uh, Steve Watkins and his group did it but it's a good song. And then and then shortly after that I heard My Best Friend's Girl and then it became one of those things where I can say yeah I know the cars I've heard a lot of their stuff on radio but it it took like many years before that happened I see I guess if you're going to label them I think the media mostly labeled them as a new wave band yeah um, so I think they've either been called new wave and you know also obviously classified as rock or yeah. classic rock now. Um, yeah. I think it kind of falls in the middle somewhere. Um, yeah. It's got new wave tendencies, but there's also classic rock. I mean, because, you know, there's nine tracks on that first album. I, every one of them has been on classic rock radio. So. Oh, yeah. It's like a um, singles album. The whole album is like, yeah. just play the whole album. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, yeah, their debut album was actually a great, they actually, the band joked about it. They called it their greatest hits album. Yeah. <laughs> so with with Benjamin Orr, he had like the like the sweetest voice of the Cars. It's like it's like you could sit there and listen to him all day. You know, Rick Ocasek was a little bit more rougher, a little bit more higher, but he just Ben Orr just had like I don't know nobody. I've never heard anybody sound like Ben Orr. I've heard people who could sound like Rick, but Ben Orr just had just one of the unique voices of rock. Yeah, and it was like. I I would have called him the Brad Pitt of rock. <laughs> yeah, <he's a> beautiful <laughs> man. <laughs> well, well, you said that um, 
you said he had the best voice in the cars, and I, I think he has about the best voice in rock. I mean, he is right there for me with Paul McCartney, David Bowie, Paul Rogers of Bad Company, and Ben. <laughs> Those are like yeah. the four classic rock voices to me. Yeah, um, it's like so yeah, people, that was yeah. definitely a gift. Yeah, yeah he has it's like people. Sorry, go on. Go ahead. Oh, it's like people think he wrote the song um, um, "Drive" just because when he sang it, he sang it with such feeling as if it was his tune. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he actually said about "Drive" that um, when the song was presented to him, yeah, um, he said he didn't. He doesn't. He. He said he knew some of Rick's songs, like they just flowed out of him. He didn't have to think about how yeah. he was going to sing them when he went into the, the you know, the studio to record. Yeah. He said it just kind of comes out, you know. Oh yeah. And he was also well known within the band for, um, um, he was a one take kind of guy. He'd yeah. go in there and do a song in one take, and it would be done. And they actually got used to recording with him like that. So uh, yeah, he he it was a gift. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I'm one of the best voices in rock, and and nobody can emulate him. You know, they have, like in Journey, they have that Filipino guy. He sounds like Steve Perry, you know. But I've never heard somebody sound like Benjamin Orr. I don't think the Cars yeah. could ever get anybody to replace him. Plus, he was a. I think he's very overrated as a bass player, also. Very solid bass player for sure. I mean, he wasn't a virtuoso bass player, but but he didn't need to be. I mean, you know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. doing, you know, complicated progressive rock. They were just a, a rock slash pop band, and Ben just yeah. sat in the Ben just sat in the pocket and did his thing, and uh, not a lot of flash. Um, but he didn't need to do that. <laughs> yeah, um, he didn't need his, to be a his presence. <laughs> his presence alone did it for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, like Geddy Lee's my favorite bass player, but Benjamin Orr always went with the song. You know, he didn't have to do a flashy, you know, but freaking or like a Billy Sheehan. You know, he just played with the song and made the song rhythm, rhythmic. You know, it's so so much rhythm in the cars. I love rhythm and, and melody, and there's so much melody in Benjamin Orr, and it's just I think that's why I like him a lot. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think his bass playing actually bridged. Um, the new wave and the rock sounds together that made them so unique. I think Ben, I think Ben's bass playing was a unique thread, um, for sure. Oh yeah, they could have. Um, I could have imagined them being called Benjamin Orr and the Cars. You know, just like they have <laughs> Katrina and the Waves. It, it would have worked. It, it just flows like Benjamin Orr and the Cars. Well, the, the other members look like like a ragtag punk group, and then he was like the freaking glam guy in the group. <laughs> so it could have been done. <laughs> they were all pretty classy dressers, though. Yeah. I mean, they had they had a certain style on stage, and when they first made it big, they had like a, a color theme. They were basically like black and white and red on stage, and the clothes oh, they wore yeah. and stuff. So they were they were really sharp. They were all sharp on stage for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, one and of my plus big... it goes with the music, colorful, colorful clothes. I, Absolutely. I, I was just wondering, have, have you ever seen the Cars live? You know what? I never got to see the Cars live. Um, I started going to concerts maybe a little later than some rockers, but I think like the first concert I went to, I was like, I think I was a freshman in, in high school or maybe a sophomore. 
So when I started going to shows, um, the cars were still around, um, but somehow it never happened. I, I'm not. I I I I've thought. I think back about that now and try to figure it out. Why didn't I ever go see them? Because I always loved them. Um, it just I don't know. Somehow it never materialized. So no, I never did get to see the band. Although I did get to see the latest version of the band because when they got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this past April, I made a trip to Cleveland, and I actually saw them get inducted. So I did see them perform at that, obviously, unfortunately, without Mr. Orr. How um, much did that set you Oh, back? yeah. <laughs> I heard it's exp expensive to get in there. Say? <laughs> How much did oh. that set you back to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah. Um, it actually wasn't bad. Wasn't bad. Um, I had a nosebleed. I had a nosebleed seat, but that's okay. Uh, I was there. I wanted to go to the one uh, Rush got inducted over here in L.A. I wanted to go to that one, but it was like sold out in minutes. <laughs> I was like, damn. Yeah. That's yeah. This one sold. This one sold out quick too. Um, but my um, public relations coordinator for the book, Donna, um, she is actually like um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has like a membership club kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, she's a, and she's a member of that. And it, one of the privileges of being a member of that club is you kind of get first crack at getting a hold of some of those tickets before they go out to the general public. So oh, she, yeah. So she actually got to get in on trying to get a couple of tickets, um, and she did. She got one for the both of us. And, uh, cool. Yeah, we met in Cleveland, and um, they had a whole media day um, the day before at the Rock Hall, and I actually yeah. was there, and because of my book, I did some radio interviews. I appeared on a TV interview with um, Fox News out of Cleveland. So oh, it was cool. A, oh, yeah, so on top of getting to go to the ceremony and see the band get inducted, I got to be included in the media day and got to promote my book, and it was a fun four or five days. Because, I mean, and, and also let it be known, that Cleveland is Ben's hometown. Oh, he's from, okay. he's from Cleveland, so it it was huge. It, yeah. it was a huge event for sure. So if That's you go if cool. you go to Boston, is the car still played all over the radio stations there? Oh yeah. Well, I'm sure they're still played all over classic rock radio everywhere. But I heard the um, really crazy about the cars in in like Bo the Boston area the most. It's like oh yeah, of course. That's where they launched. You know. Um, that that's where they that's where they got their record deal and 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 really became famous so they're considered um yeah they're they're considered a boston band for sure even only one of the members is actually from massachusetts um but uh yeah they're a boston band and they're still huge in that city for sure cool <clears throat> so oh um, okay so is your book out yet or the book is not out yet it will be released on november 11th so it's getting close, um, only a couple of months away. Um, you can actually pre-order the book right now um, through the publisher's website. The publisher is Roman and Littlefield. And you can also um, order it. I actually, my um, public relations director and I, um, just launched a website for the book. Um, it's it's oh, real simple. Cool. Yep. Uh, Benorbook.com. You can go to my oh, website. Yeah tells you a little bit about the book there's a few photos there and there's a link where you can actually pre-order the book so it's not out yet um it's not physically available yet but you can pre-order it right now 
Yeah, I'll, oh, have, the, cool. I'll have these links in the show notes so people could go pre-order the book. I think cool. it will be some that I'll want to check out. Yeah, me too. And I, I, there's a lot of books I want to get right now, but I, this book sounds really, very interesting. I'm one of the the members of the group that I actually love in this band more than anybody. He's my favorite <clears throat> member. I have his solo albums more than Rick's. Rick's solo albums are kind of off to me. I, <laughs> but I love. Ben, Ben's his voice is just so awesome, you know. Oh yeah, well, definitely. The way he One sings of, a melody, it's just yeah. Nobody can well, sing like, like him. Like I said, um, he's he's one of the top three or four singers um, for me in rock, um, no doubt about it. <clears throat> All right, so you want? Oh, yeah. You want you, any yep. more? Uh, sorry, anything else you would like to promote your book? Say about your book? What's going on with it? Or you already said? <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I will say that, um, what is that noise in the background? Lisa oh, New York. that's <laughs> probably the, the, uh, Sound like sirens. a trolley or something. It's, it's, it's the sirens in New York. It's oh, just, I see. It's just an ambulance. I don't think they actually go anywhere. I think that they're just, oh, this is New York. We need to test the sirens occasionally. So you <laughs> might see a, but, but it's not often. Well, look, to tell you briefly about my book, um, it was kind of a unique journey. Um, I told you how a fan contacted me out of the blue and said, you should write a book about Ben Orr. So I thought to myself, well, why, didn't I, why wouldn't I just write a book about the cars? But I investigated Ben a little bit and found out, like I mentioned to you, that he's originally from Cleveland. Um, mm-hmm. And I looked into it a little bit more. Actually of a childhood star in Cleveland when he was young. He, cool. joined a, he joined a band called the Grasshoppers when he was 16 years old, and there was a TV show based in Cleveland called Upbeat. It was a music TV show, kind of like, okay. American, like American Bandstand. It was the American Bandstand of Cleveland. Wow. And, and Ben's band at age 16 was the house band on that TV show. Cool. And that TV show was nationally syndicated all over the country. So at 16 years old, his band was the house band on a TV show. Wow. So, I learned, so I'm reading all these things, and I'm going, that's it. That's the hook. I'm going to do this. I asked a few Cars fans that I knew. A couple of yeah. them said, no, I had no idea that he did that. So that's what made me, what hooked me, and made me said, I'm going to write a book about Ben. Yeah. So. Obviously, I can't interview the man because he passed away um, in 2000. So what do you do? You have to contact as many people who knew him as possible so they could all be his voice. So that's what I started to do. And I have been working on this book um, for 11 years total. Oh, yeah. It's sort of like Steely Dan. Um, Someone did like a whole biography of them, but... They didn't um, participate. They couldn't be contacted for some reason. And the book came out, and they didn't say anything about it. And I think finally, years later, they asked them about why you didn't do interviews for books and stuff. And they said, we were touring, and we were busy. You know, so right. <laughs> kind of like that. So <laughs> they did a whole thing on them, and they didn't didn't get involved just because they were still busy doing music. <laughs> Right. So anyway, what I did was um, I interviewed as many people as I could, um, childhood friends that he went to school with, his early bandmates back in Cleveland. Um, once they got famous, uh, record executives, um, famous rock photographers, studio people, 
Um, All right. I, in, I interviewed um, about 120 people for this book. That's cool. Damn. So it is it is a detailed account of Ben's life um, that took a long time to do, um, and I'm really excited to have it finally come out. <clears throat> yeah, plus a, lot of, plus a lot of those people, uh, um, like especially ones who are not necessarily well-known, who are like, you know, maybe like old friends or some like, I'm not saying you did, but let's say there was a next-door neighbor who never got interviewed in anything. People like that are also very willing to do interviews because they're like, it'll give them a chance to talk about their side of the story. And so I think it's really cool when you can get people who might not have had an opportunity to talk to be able to open up and say a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, you're right. And a lot of these people were more than willing to talk about Ben. Um, I also want to say, though, that part of the reason that it took me this long to get this book together, along with the fact that I have a regular job and a family, too. I mean, I wasn't, like, sitting in my office eight hours a day working on this book. It was a part-time kind of thing. Do it in your spare time. Um, But I learned very quickly in the interview process that Ben was a very private man. Um, on, On stage, he was a rock star. When he left the stage, he flipped the switch. And he became a regular, normal, private guy. Okay. So he was so private that a lot of people I approached were initially not interested in talking to me, saying, I'm not so sure Ben would want this, um, uh-huh. this book coming out. Um, but I kind of worked out a formula where I would say, look, I'll ask you questions. You'll only respond to what you want to respond to. I'll create the quotes for the book. Once I get them in the manuscript, I will show you your quotes so you can see exactly what's going to be in the book and you can approve it before it, before it goes in. And, okay. that's how, and that's how I started convincing people who were skeptical or maybe you know apprehensive about doing it. That's yeah. how I convinced them to do it. So there's a lot of people in this book who know exactly what's going to be in there, so there'll be no surprises to them. That's cool. Yeah, it was a long, it was a long painstaking process, I tell you, but... Well worth it in the end. Yeah, man, <laughs> right that's on. cool. I can't read. I can't wait to read this. And all the fans out there who are listening, maybe our thirty listeners, get out there and uh, <laughs> pre-order the book. Uh, ben Orr, let's go, Benjamin Orr and the Cars, man. This sounds like a really killer <laughs> book. So right, right now on. we're gonna enter. We're gonna review the first cor- uh, Cars album with uh, Joe yep. here. And uh, Joe, I usually talk about the first album and where it debuted and how it came out, but you'd probably know more information than me because I'm reading off Wikipedia. So you want to give a synopsis of the first Cars album before we go into it? Um, sure. Um, what I think is most unique about this album is that, I mean, it's got to be one of the three, four, five, six best debut rock albums of all time. I mean, it's got to be right up there with, say, the first Boston album, which is another album oh, from Boston yeah. that oh, is, yeah. you know, every song on it has been in classic rock radio everywhere. So I think that's what's really unique about this first Cars album. I mean, like we said earlier in this interview, or maybe we said it before we got on the air, but we said it's like a greatest hits album. <laughs> yeah, it's like every song on yeah. here is played on classic radio. Think about it. Um, a couple... Yeah, yeah. A, couple, a couple other things I can tell you about it is that um, they had been 
the cars had been playing these songs in the bars for a couple of years before this album came out so they knew the songs inside and out when they went into the studio oh yeah they, re they recorded this album in 12 days wow. it took them it took them only 12 days to record the album and then another nine days to mix it so in like two weeks <laughs> oh more than two weeks they yeah. re they they recorded this entire album so i thought that was um a pretty interesting aspect I can also tell you that um, it, 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 the album went high in the charts, um, but it didn't crack the top 10. I think it made it to like number 18 on the album chart. However, mm -hmm. the top 200 album chart, it remained on the top, the Billboard top 200 album chart for 139 weeks. That's, hey, nearly, wow. that's nearly three years. That that's album, cool. That album remained in the top 200. And as a matter of yeah. fact, when their second album, Candy O, came out, mm. the first album was still on the charts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's the kind of impact that their debut album had. In fact, um, I remember um, it was one of the only times that I remembered an album like, a second album like Candy O coming out so quick. At first, but the first album just came out, and now I'm seeing a billboard for the first album right next to a billboard for the second kind of like that you know like yeah there was actually there was actually a rumor among the record companies or the record company and the music media that they actually were it's said that they held off releasing candy o for a little bit because the first album was doing so well still that they wanted yeah. to kind of spread it out a little bit um, yeah I don't know if that's true or not, because I've talked to a record executive um, at Elektra at the time when I interviewed him for about Ben, that he didn't necessarily think that was the case. So I've kind of heard yeah. a couple different versions of that. But needless to say, when your debut album stays on the Billboard Top 200 for nearly three years, um, I think you did something right. <laughs> oh, absolutely i know man that's it is one of the best debuts of all time it's like i this yeah. and candio and I, I are my go-to albums with them and i i love all the albums even uh their last album with ben <laughs> you know it was pretty cool but uh, a lot of people hated that last album they made door to door but uh, yeah. i thought it was cool i like door to door i mean it's obviously not as iconic as their first couple albums but you know that's kind of hard to replicate something like that um and by the time you know not to get into too much detail about it but by that time when door to door came out you know they broke up not too long after that so there was already some kind of friction in the band a little bit and they probably weren't as cohesive in the studio anymore if you will yeah um yeah but there's still some good songs on that album and i mean um, i'd rather have that album out and being able to listen to it than not have it come out so yeah you know <laughs> that's the thing that that um when people talk about oh a group should quit or a group should stop it's like well if they stop then you think what else could they have done but if they do an album even if you don't like it you still get the choice of hearing whatever they did whereas if if they didn't do it then then there's nothing to go by so i'm still glad when groups do albums even if i don't particularly like them because 
it's still creativity and you still have the choice to hear a group that's still going on. And I always yeah. do thumbs up for for a group that will do an album. Of course, so it gives, I'm glad that, it gives you I'm glad it gives you it gives you one more it gives you one more perspective, you know? Yeah. yeah. I I think that album was closure because you could hear how they were like disjointed and they weren't it, a lot of songs on there i enjoy i love the album but it isn't one of their best but it's still a good album and you're going like closing could, the you door could, yeah you could see you could see <laughs> hey man they were on their way of breaking up listen to this album compared to the album before you know so oh. that was their goodbye album you could tell <laughs> oh yeah right but that being said obviously their first two albums are the pinnacle you know candy o was actually oh, yeah. my personal favorite Oh, yeah. But I mean, you can't oh, okay. you can't go wrong with either one of them. That's for sure. I love Candio. That album cover is awesome. David me, Robinson, I, I, man, I would. <laughs> He's a great artist. Yeah. For me, I would say about half of Candio, I'm not particularly fond of, but the other half, I I possibly even like better than the first album. So it balances. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I love Candio. I mean, I, I heard some songs and I was like, uh. Is this going to get better? Then all of a sudden, I was like, "Wow, it's getting a lot better." <laughs> so that, that's how it was. That's how it was for me. I see. Yeah, Lee is brutally <laughs> honest. I, I was just going to say. I was just going to say. I appreciate your honesty. I'm. I'm. I'm totally quirky. I mean, um, um, everything I know is on the back of an album cover, and it's to a cover that nobody else has ever saw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you look at look go look at our album reviews, there's albums like uh, Help. What's this? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he picks some weird albums that I go. I know, some of them yeah. I liked and some of them I didn't. But it's yeah, pretty I cool. do that on purpose. Yeah. I want people to listen. Yeah, that's why he hates yeah. Bon Jovi. I'm gonna make him do a Bon Jovi album pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna hear me yell. If you've never heard me swear or yell on other podcast episodes, and you will if you have heard me on them, I'll. I'll I'll blow that freaking speaker on his podcast recorder before we're done. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so I guess the last thing I would mention about the debut album is uh, it's 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 pretty cool that they um, issued a deluxe edition of the album. I think oh it yeah, came out, I think it came out in 1999, I believe, uh, by oh, okay. Rhino Records, and it oh, is yeah. a. It's a deluxe version of the debut album, but it also includes a second CD that has nine rarities on it, either wow. different either different versions of the song or a couple of live versions of the songs. And then there's another five unreleased songs that they recorded cool. during that time that didn't make it to the album. So, and it's also a, like a huge. Um, booklet inside with all kinds of great color photos and stuff oh so if you're definitely. A, so if you're a fan of that first album and you don't have this deluxe edition you definitely want to get it because it's worth it there's a lot of unreleased stuff on there that is oh okay. a couple of a couple of the unreleased versions i like just as much if not more than the ones that made it to the record i mean yeah. it's really cool yeah so, and you I'm gonna... check, so you should check that out yeah i'm looking and at i'm the track... gonna be go ahead oh, go on i'm looking at the all right, go on. <laughs> I'm looking at the track listings right now. It's like got Good Times Roll, Live at Boston Theater, uh, My Best Friend's Girl Demo, Just What I Needed Demo, I'm in Touch With Your World Demo, Don't You Stop Demo, You're All I Got Tonight Demo, Bye Bye Love Demo, Moving in Stereo Demo, and then All Mixed Up Demo, and then uh, the unreleased songs, They Won't See You, uh, Take What You Want, Wake Me Up, 
you just can't push me at Hotel Queenie. Yeah, I'm. I'm was going to say I'm definitely curious and intrigued to see how those songs compare because even if they have elements of oh I can see why they're not on the album it, it's they're probably still going to be definitely worth hearing to hear the difference between them and the release songs oh they're definitely worth hearing um, I think the only reason that they probably didn't make it on the album is because back then it was vinyl yeah. and there's only a certain amount of time you had um, yeah I will say that those unreleased songs I mean at this time you know they're a bar band so they don't have a lot of original material so all those unreleased yeah. songs they were playing in their live sets every night oh so okay. they so though they were you know playing those songs as tight as they were as the ones that made it to the record so the unreleased songs are they're all really cool and they're yeah. definitely worth listening to i think they just didn't make it because yeah. you only have a certain amount of time so there's some that can't go yeah so, but, but now you can some... check them out they're really cool yep and some yeah i'm gonna go get this would have would have <laughs> known this and some people at the bars would have known the songs in fact it could i i'm thinking they could have been out um in hindsight on an EP called The Cars at the Bars. <laughs> Touche. Cars at the yeah. Bars. That's funny. All right, well, let's get into this album. We get to the first track, which was a single, Good Times Roll. What did you think about this one, Joe? Um, what I remember about Good Times Roll is, I think I mentioned earlier that I actually remember the first time I heard the Cars debut. Um, I was in junior high. I was getting ready to go to a Babe Ruth baseball game, and I got in the car with my coach, getting ready to drive the game, and he put an eight-track version of this album in the deck, and Good Times Roll kicked in with those that car horn-sounding synth synthesizer at the beginning. And I, to this day, I can remember hearing it for the first time and just thinking, what in the world is this? And um, that just it just went from there. Right they, on. they instantly became one of my favorite bands. So that's when you know something is important to you and it's iconic to you when you can still remember the yeah. first time you ever heard a car's note. So um, that's what I think of when I when I hear "Good Times Roll." Yeah, I didn't right even on. have to listen to this record for the uh, uh, review because I I it's on my iPhone and I listen to it all the time, so I know this album. <laughs> I know all oh, their yeah. albums really well. It's like you know a band that you really like, you just know the albums. You don't really need to study it or anything. It's just in your DNA. And this is one of the albums for me. And Lee, what do you think about Good Times Roll? Oh well, this is such an iconic song. It almost seems like a cover tune, even though it isn't. It gets overplayed on radio, and I've heard it many times, but I still think it's great. A, A plus. Yeah, I, this is a great song. I just, I just like uh, their their harmonies. Let the good times roll. It's like they all sing together in harmony. It's just so awesome that guitar going. <laughs> Ellie Easton's playing is so different than any guitar player out at that time. He, oh, could, yeah. he could freaking just kick a solo and he could just go freaking guitar picking. He could just pick like freaking Chet Atkins. Fucking great song uh -huh. to open a great album. And then oh, we get yeah. into the next track, My Best Friend's Girl. What would you think of this song, Joe? 
Um, Best Friends Girl is a great song. It was the second single released from the album. Um, I think they released three singles from the album. And I know that Best Friends Girl was one of them. And I think it broke the top 40. Um, so it was a radio hit, for sure. Um, great song. <clears throat> what did you think about it, Lee? Oh, yeah, well, the arrangement is late 70s for sure, but the actual song itself seems more like early Beach Boys or Buddy Holly. It has techno and twang, and it sort of sounds Tex-Mex like Joe <laughs> King Carrasco. It's a neat song. Yeah, this is what I was talking about, Ellie Easton's playing. This guy could, like, play anything, man. He's, like, so underrated as a guitar player. And this song is so iconic. I remember watching these video. What this? They had a video for this. Fucking awesome. Uh, live wow. video, I think. So good. Great song. So then we cool. get into the first song that Benjamin Orr sang on this great album, Just What I Needed. What would you think about this one, Joe? <laughs> um... Just what I needed is classic Benjamin vocal for sure. And I do know that this was the first single that they released from the album. And it made it to like number 27, I think, on 27 or 25 on the Billboard album chart. So it was their first official single. Um, and, you know, classic Ben. That's all you got to say to that one. <laughs> so what did you think about it, man? Oh, well, this is the sort of song I'd play if I was dancing with my girlfriend, but I might not play it for myself. I think the words are funny, and I dig them, and the music's good, too. For a popular song, I still like it. Yeah, this song and Let's Go. If you ever ask a non-Cars fan, do you know the Cars? These are the two songs they say they know. My Best Friend's yeah. Girl and Let's Go. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like it's synonymous with non-cars fans. Oh yeah, I know that song. Yeah, I heard them. This oh, is a yeah. great song. This is like so classic. It just there's no really need to talk about it. You just say, hey, just what I need. Everybody starts singing it. It's so catchy. It's so good. Benjamin Orr's voice just kicks ass on this track. It's a great song. Oh yeah. <laughs> And then no we doubt. and then we get into the next track, which I'm in touch with your world. What do you think about this one, Joe? Well, I think I'm in touch with your world is <clears throat> it's kind of set aside to me. Like it's 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 a little different than the rest of the album, and I really like it because it's towards the middle and it kind of breaks things up a little bit. But to me, it's like it's more of a quirky kind of song. It's got some weird instrumentation in it and. Greg Hawks does some unique th unique things in there, um, so I think it's a it's a good song to have in the middle because it's a little different to me than the rest of the groove, and it kind of breaks things up a little bit. I think. Yeah. So what do you think about it, Lee? Oh well, this is a cool eccentric track. I could definitely see why it wasn't a hit, but it's a purposefully oddball tune that, in some ways, reminds me of Roxy music. Yeah, it's an okay song. Yeah, this is a cool song. Like, uh, it breaks up the album. It was just like totally rocking out, and all of a sudden, it just goes with this quirky little tune, and it, it fits well in this album. I love it. And then we get into the next track, which is one track that Lee picked for one of his songs out of the four that we're gonna play. So this is "Don't You Stop" on the Freeform Rock Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, that was Don't You Don't You Stop. So why'd you pick that track, Lee? This is really cool. I really enjoy the melody, the singing, and the arrangement. It's my favorite song. It's awesome. So what'd you think about it, Joe? Um, that surprises me a little bit that that would song on the album. That's a cool thing too, you know. To each his own, for sure. Oh um, yeah, I love the song. Um, you know, I mean, I love every song on the album, and, and it's a great song for sure. Yeah, this, this is a great song. I like, don't you stop, don't you stop, don't you stop. If it makes you feel good, <laughs> just, it's just yeah. a little quirky song that, that ends the inside one on this record. Rick, I could, uh, I, I could imagine myself as a little kid. Um, singing, don't you stop, don't you stop, da 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 My mom says, okay, Lee, um, calm down, we're going to eat. Lee, get off of the table, the mashed potatoes are about to spill. Lee, don't you stop, don't you stop, don't you stop. stop. Someone turn that song off, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then we flip it over, if you had vinyl at the time, and I have this on vinyl also. Uh, I did too. We start side two, You're All I've Got Tonight. So what do you think about this one, Joe? Um, a real heavy type of rockin' song to me, and um, um, this starts, like, the beginning of the rest of the album for me. Um, the last four tracks, they all, it sounds funny to say, it's almost like one song to me. The last four tracks just fit together so perfectly, um, it, it's just incredible. Um, so to me, whenever it gets to this song, I kind of like, kind of have the mindset of, this is just this is the best part of the album. This is this is my favorite part. And like I said, these last four songs just blend together perfectly for me. Oh yeah. So what do you think about this song, Lee? Oh well, this is kind of a cheap trick vibe to it, but I like it better than some of cheap trick. I think cheap trick could have got some pointers from the cards. It's one of the better songs on here. I just, I, for some reason, every time I think of the cars, I think of Cheap Trick because they were both innovators back at this time compared to what el what other stuff was coming out. You know, they were different. And uh, this song is awesome. I love this song. I love Ellie Easton's playing on it. it. The whole band is just on fire. Rick's voice is just great. Great song to start side two. And then we get into the next track, which is one of Joe's songs that he picked. So here's Bye Bye Love on the Freeform Rock Podcast.
Okay, that was Bye Bye Love. Why did you pick this track, Joe? Well, arguably, Bye Bye Love is probably my favorite Cars song. Um, if you put a gun to my head and make me pick one, that would probably be it. Um, it's just Ben's pure magnetism at its finest. Um, I'll also say that a lot of the female Cars fans out there go especially gaga over this one. Um including um my public relations director donna <laughs> she's awesome <laughs> um, given, by the way give, given her yes she is um giving her a shout out um and of course bye bye love i mean it i love how you're all i've got tonight just flows into bye bye love it's almost like they're one song to me um and of course i said if i had to pick one it would be bye bye love but this and the next two are all like my three favorite car songs. So Bye Bye Love kind of starts it all, for sure. <clears throat> so what did you think about it, Lee? Oh, well, I like this better than the Everly Brothers song. It's not the best song on here, but I do like it. 
I could have imagined this being a hit. I really disagree with you on that. <laughs> I go with um, Joe, man. This song is just awesome. I love, I love I the. Thought of that, I thought of that before um, he said that, but I thought, do I change what I say? I say no. I'm known as being honestly so Lee be honestly stupid. <laughs> no, I, 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 I just, I love the way Ben's voice sounds on this. I love it when he says, "It's just a quickie lullaby." You know, it's just freaking awesome. His hey, I like how you say it. Um, can can you record that? It'll be my favorite song you've done. <laughs> I can't even sing. <laughs> All right. Me neither. Let yeah. me give you one of my songs on YouTube, Mark, and then you listen to and then you tell me that you're not worse. <laughs> I, that, that, that you're worse. I you're think I, I think you, you're worse than I am, but your songs are well written. When other people sing them, they're yeah. awesome. Okay, we digress and let's get back to this. Well, Bye Bye Love right. is awesome. I love this song and I go with jo what Joe said about it. 100% I approved what he said. <laughs> and then we get into the next track, Moving in Stereo, which is yeah. the second track that Joe picked. <laughs> and here it is, Moving in Stereo on the Freeform Rock Podcast. It's so easy to play up your breakdown It's 
That was Moving in Stereo. Why did you pick this track, Joe? Well, I know I'm getting repetitive here, but... Um, well, first I'll say that Moving in Stereo and All Mixed Up are like one song to me. <laughs> I know I'm getting repetitive when I say that these songs all blend together, these last four, but that's how it is for me. Um, and Moving in Stereo and All Mixed Up, they have more of a a dreamlike quality to me, the way they flow, whereas the other songs on the album um, are more punchy, more kind of harder driving, rock orientated songs. I think the last two tracks, you know, moving in stereo, they just they're just a little different and and they're yeah. perfect. They're just perfect to me. <laughs> perfect. Oh yeah. Uh -huh. So what do you think about it, Lee? Oh, well, this sounds like it was influenced by Roger Powell from Utopia, like maybe cool. they heard his solo album Cosmic Furnace. It's a good song for a dance hall filled with artistic people who like to write poetry and dance. It's pretty cool. Okay, I love this song, and it makes me think of that movie, Fast Times, Richmond High, like I've already said a million times in this podcast. Oh, but yeah. it's just a killer song. And when I smoked pot back in the day, this song was freaking awesomer. <laughs> it just had so much shit going on in the background. It's like, I didn't, well, I didn't hear that before. What's that? Oh my god, they put shit in the background of this song. It's like Pink Floyd to me. It's like, damn, this yeah. song is awesome. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then we get into the last track, which was also one of Joe's, but I had him pick two, but Lee also picked it, Joe, so you got saved on this one, so we get to play All Mixed Up. Cool. So here's All Mixed <laughs> Up on the Freeform Rock Podcast.
that was all mixed up why did you pick that track uh lee oh well this was a has a suspenseful element to it like it could be in a movie about a man who's involved with a mysterious woman it's more serious than some of the other songs and it's a really good deep cut it's one of the better songs here so why why'd you uh well you kind of picked this song too joe so why'd you like this song Um, well, first, you know, it's it's just such a, a classic ending to the album. Um, to me, it's um, Ben and his smooth, cool vocal that I like to refer to it as. Um, he was heavily influenced by Elvis when he was younger. And um, you can he, there's an element to that, like there is in Drive, too. He's just got that smooth, cool voice that just kind of floats along. And um, I love, obviously, how it marriages together with moving in stereo. And I also think it's a classic ending to an album, how Greg Hawks has that saxophone solo at the end that he does. And it just kind of fades away from there, um, like you're floating away on a cloud or something. It's just um, just an iconic ending for an album, um, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah this, is, this is a great song. I love, like... It- I could see Ben sitting there with sunglasses and smoking a cigarette all nice and cool just singing this song, man. It's just <laughs> a freaking great song to end the album. It just makes, just leaves you wanting more. It's like, oh, God, if I was back then, I'd go, when's the next album coming out? When's the next album coming out? You know, this, is, <laughs> this is just so right. awesome. And then Candy O came out. I was like, oh, yeah, I could see those fans just like having like exasperated seeing this album come out the next one it's like oh my god they hit us again with a great album it's like like they picked up right it's like they picked up right where they left off i know it's just so awesome 
And Candio is my favorite Cars album. I just that song Candio, man. I could just play that over and over and over. <laughs> I just love that song <laughs> so much. Yeah, my favorite too. But the, yeah. I mean, the first two, the first two albums kind of go hand in hand to me. You know what I mean? It's almost like, how can you have one without the other? Their first two albums are just iconic for sure. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, Joe, I'm going to have yep. your. Um, your links on the show notes for this, and I'm going to post it on uh, Facebook pages, and I'm going to share it along. Probably find some cars groups and put this in too. Um, when I put, I'm going to have it up mm-hmm. later today for you. And uh, yep. this That's album cool. just rocks, and we thank you for coming coming on our podcast, oh, man. We're, we're humbled to have a real a real writer on here. <laughs> yeah, we're probably going to have some actual um, real listeners now. <laughs> Maybe. Well, I tell you what. I, I don't mean this in, in a bregocious way, but there, um, I do have a lot of Cars fans that are finding out about this book and following me. Um, my mailing list for the book um, is approaching a thousand names. So um, I can tell you that there's a little Cars Benjamin army out there who's following me cool. that are now going to go and follow you guys and check this out. And I know that right they are, on. they're appreciative of it as much as I am. I really appreciate you guys having me as a guest. Cool. And um, hey, if I don't know, uh, if you want to, after, because I'm going back to Cleveland, um, I want my book signing, my first um, book launching event to be held in Cleveland if I can do it because it's Ben's mm. hometown. So after yeah. I do all that stuff and the book comes out, man, if you want to have me back on, I'd love to come back and tell you about that adventure too. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> cool. Yeah, right on. I really, I really appreciate you guys having me on, though. Um, it's it's been a lot of fun, and um, I really had a good time, and I appreciate it. Well, thank you right for on. coming on. And uh, at the end of the show, we pick tracks of the week. Do you have like a song that you really like uh, by another band or by the Cars that you want to get played? <laughs> you know what? You know what I want you to play for me? What? In honor of the book, I want you to play "Let's Go." All right, let's go. Got it. And then Lee right and then Lee picked uh, Eric Clapton's Steady Rolling Man. Yeah. And then I picked uh, the new Greta Van Fleet when the curtain falls. Well cool. All That's right. a nice little diverse selection that we got there. That's yeah, great. We, we're, yeah, we're, we're always usually, like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're we're like peanut butter and mint covered um, sardines. <laughs> All over the map. Yeah, we're all yeah. over the map. That's that's why we get along yeah. really well. <laughs> we, we don't get boring. We, 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 we try to connect, but then we bounce off each other like weeble wobbles. <laughs> well, I'm really glad I'm connected with you guys. You got a new fan, so I'll be checking out your podcast right on. forward. And on Thank my you. music page, on my social media pages on Facebook, I'll make sure I promote you guys as well. All right. Thank, All right. Thank you, Joe. And uh, you have a great day. So I'm going to play us out with uh, Let's Go by the Cars, uh, Eric Clapton's Steady Rolling Man, and Greta Van Fleet when the curtain falls. So next time on the Freeform Rock Podcast, you guys all have a great week. Thank you. All right, take care. All right, Cheers. man. Bye, guys.
Now let's get into the promos. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. I wanna rock. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. You gotta fight for your right. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. We've got Bush. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. That's right, bangers. Cold beer, hot women, loud music, and copious amounts of hairspray and spandex every Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern. The Big Bushy Power Hour is the biggest party on that metal station.com. You haven't listened to Mars Attacks podcast? What are you waiting for, man? Host Victor M. Ruiz brings you all types of hard rock and metal-based podcasts. You'll find everything from music-based episodes, interviews, to series such as ultra-sexy classic album series, where some of your favorite musicians, producers, journalists, and show hosts comments on the albums that push the evolutionary chains of hard rock and metal. Get with it and go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to find out more. Punch it! Get blasted! Ear Pillar the podcasting and interview news site to keep up with your favorite bands or artists and the podcasts or interviews where they appear. Go to earpeeler.com to find out what we're all about. From New York. Hey, 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 hey! What up, bangers? From North Carolina! Skitter Pal Meow Meow. This is Bushy. And the Mountain. Tune in every week for your listening pleasure only on the plug with Bushy and the Mountain Man. You can find us on Podbean and iTunes. Thank you very much! Rock and Rollers, if you want a podcast that kicks a lot of ass, make sure you check out the Terrence Reardon and Friends audiovisual podcast on YouTube. Every week, yours truly looks at a different classic rock or metal album that had a major impact on my life, and also in the history of rock and roll in general. And I'm usually joined by a friend or two, and I cover everything from ACDC and the Eagles, to Pink Floyd, to Rush, to The Who, and everything in between. But there is no country music, no Tim McGraw, no Garth fucking Brooks, no rap, no Wu-Tang Clan, no fucking Jay-Z on the show, because that shit is frowned upon with this rock and roller. So if you want a kick-ass rock and roll podcast, check out the Terrence Reardon and Friends Audiovisual Podcast. New episodes up every Tuesday, exclusively on YouTube. Hey, this is Lee Gerstmann, and if you like to hear some stuff that's like, you don't know what it's gonna be, and even if it's stuff that I don't even know what it's gonna be, check me out on what I call the Lee Gerstmann Show, and it's just me doing reviews, or me doing horsing around, or whatever I'm doing, check it out, please. You have just listened to the Freeform Rock Podcast. All music played on the Freeform Rock Podcast belongs to its owner. If you like it, go out and buy it. Get your music on Amazon, iTunes, or at your local record store. Support what you love. 
Support the artists by seeing them live. Purchase their music. The Freeform Rock Podcast is not affiliated with any of the artists or music that we play. Thank you for listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. Until next time, stay free and rock on.